I'm on time today. Usually I'm lagging behind because um, I'm an idiot and I can't stick. Uh, I can't seem to stay on schedule. But today I am right on time. And what I mean by that is all the graphics are in order, all the videos are in order. I mean, this is honestly a thing of beauty. I think it's so glorious. I think it's so wonderful. Um, and I'm excited. Today's show is uh, next level, so we have <clears throat> we have good news on the issue of impeachment, um, and I'm, I'm really happy about this. Everybody knows what my take on impeachment is already, but that doesn't mean that I'm not, like, rooting for it to somehow work, so uh, I have a story about that right up front. We're going to discuss a new poll that came out, and, you know, this talks me off the ledge just a little bit. So we'll talk about that. We have uh, the NRA's Wayne LaPierre allegedly met with Trump to be like, hey, man, we'll take care of your uh, legal bills if you uh, shut the fuck up about gun control. (laughs) So we have some more, like, flat-out corruption going on inside the White House. Um, Unfortunately, we'll be talking about the Biden campaign, the most uninspiring campaign in human history, and uh, how they're they're now demanding the media stop putting on Rudy Giuliani. Oh, boy. Uh, this, that, that's not a good sign for a variety of reasons. Um, the media now is pretending to love whistleblowers, but of course they're going to try to make distinctions between this whistleblower and, um, you know, Edward Snowden and Chelsea Manning. They're going to act like, oh, come on, bro, there's no comparison here. So we'll talk about that. I, I have uh, Robert De Niro as well. He went on uh, CNN and made headlines by uh, cursing. Who does he think he is? Me? <laughs> mm. Anyway, all right, without further ado, let's get started, and uh, let me set this up for you. <clears throat> Turn that off, actually. Okay, here we go. So there's a new CBS News poll on impeachment uh, that just came out, and we have some good news for Democrats. 
Now, everybody knows what my take on impeachment is. I went into, you know, excruciating detail on that. Um, But my take doesn't mean I'm not rooting for this to somehow help Democrats and help the left and hurt Trump. Of course, I want that to be the case. I'm just skeptical if it'll actually unfold that way. But you can talk me off the ledge just a smidge here because we do have some good news. So this is post the Ukraine call news. Here are the new numbers on impeachment. So should there be an impeachment inquiry into President Trump among Americans? So this is all Americans, not necessarily likely voters, but just all Americans. Approve of the impeachment inquiry, 55%. Disapprove, 45%. So on that alone, I'm happy. Because remember, the poll before this, um, and, and literally I think it was like five or ten days before this, new scandal with the Ukraine phone call, uh, impeachment was only at 36%. So for it to jump all the way to 55%, and I should say, there's another poll that came out, I forget who did it, but it had impeachment at 49%, don't impeach at 46%. So it's a plurality in that situation. In this situation, it's a flat-out majority. So that's a good thing. That's a good thing, because what it means is there's not the, like, knee-jerk reaction from people in the country of, oh, this is just, you know, playing politics and this isn't serious. It it turns out that a majority think like, no, he kind of had this coming. So perhaps details be damned, but you know what? At the end of the day, I think that's a positive thing because um, if that number had stayed at 36% or let's say it only bounced up to 40%, I mean, that, that would have been like a terrible sign that if even early on in the process you couldn't get like rally people to this idea, then that would have been just nightmare all day long. Uh, but since the numbers bounced up and we got a 55% number here, that's definitely a positive thing that, uh, you know, people are sick of Trump's nonsense and they don't think it's a crazy idea to move towards impeachment. Now, there are other numbers which I think are uh, equally interesting here. Let me show you some of them. Impeachment inquiry uh, into President Trump among all Americans, and this breaks it down between Republicans, Democrats, and independents. So obviously, uh, 77% of Republicans disapprove of impeachment, an impeachment inquiry into Trump, but 23% approve of it. So that you know, kind of breaks down along the, uh, the approval lines within the party for Donald Trump. About 80% of the party likes him, about 20% do not. So the, the 20% that do not are in favor of an impeachment inquiry. Uh, for the Democrats, you have 87% of Democrats, almost 90% of Democrats approve of an impeachment inquiry, only 13% disapprove. Now, this is, this is interesting. Independence. It's 49% approve of it, 51% disapprove of it. So it's basically exactly 50-50. So, and, and that's probably because of there's about that many right-leaning independents and left-leaning independents. Um, but that's interesting that the, uh, the independents are split 50-50. And then here's one more slide for you that, again, I think is really important. Uh, President Trump's actions on Ukraine, and this breaks it down, but was the phone call proper, was it not proper but legal, or was it illegal? And here we have proper 28%, that's you know, his base, his hardcore base, not proper, but legal, 31%, and then illegal is 41%. So we have a plurality that says illegal, that's 41%.
However, when you put together um, it's proper and not proper but legal, you do get 59% of the country. So, you know, what I think the takeaway from this one is, is that using Ukraine and Ukraine alone in your impeachment inquiry is definitely a mistake. Because even though the overall impeachment numbers are now 55%, which again is good for the Democrats, for sure. At this point in time, that's wonderful for the Democrats. Um, but having 59% basically say, you know, the, the phone call, even if, even if it was messed up, it's really not illegal. And some, some people saying 28% saying it's proper. So there's nothing wrong with it at all. To, to put all your eggs in that basket is, I think, it, not the right move. And I think deep down, if you ask a lot of these Democrats, they'll admit that. I've seen many people who are hardcore supporters of impeachment basically say the same thing that I'm saying in terms of the limited scope of it, where they say, nah, even though I'm in favor of it, don't do it that way. So, And this poll is evidence of that because you have only 41% saying, you know, that it's illegal, and you have 59% saying it's either proper and legal or legal but improper. So anyway, that's the breakdown, uh, the new polls on impeachment. Now, what will be incredibly interesting to see is what will happen as time goes on, because, you know, I think these numbers are going to be all over the place. I really do, because I have zero trust in the Democrats to do this the right way. I have zero trust in them to not only come up with a good message, but even if they come up with a message to have everybody on board and have like these top-down talking points where they're all unified, I don't think that's going to happen. And I also think, and, and I fear this because I've seen a lot of it recently, Trump and the Republicans, they have these really aggressive counter-arguments that they're making. And what I see in my little lefty bubble on Twitter is that there's a lot of, like, dismissing of it and, ha, 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 conspiracy theories, ha, ha, Trump and Giuliani conspiracies. But what, they, what these people don't understand is that a lot of those arguments are really powerful because they cut right to what people care about. So, you know, the counter-argument from Trump is, hey, man, I was, I was actually trying to drain the swamp because Biden and his family are corrupt. I'm trying to drain the swamp. They're insanely corrupt. We can't let them get away with it. Like, that's his counter-argument. Now, again, you might say he's covering his own tracks. True. You know, you might say he's also corrupt. True. <laughs> but that argument, hammering away over time, that pff, I'm just exposing the corrupt people. I told you I was going to do this. I ran on Locker Up. I ran on Locker Up. Obviously, I have no problem going after my political opponents. So, yeah, I, yeah, I was trying to get dirt. And, but there was no literal quid pro quo, but it doesn't matter because they're corrupt, and that's why I'm going after them. And that's, I'm trying to drain the swamp, so just understand that. They're going to keep hammering that and 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 hammering that. And the Democrats, my guess, are going to be out there like, um, Sir, the way that, that way you try to go about this issue is very impolite and uncivil, and I don't think that you follow the proper channels, and you need to do the right process, and you're violating all the rules and the norms, and therefore I don't think that it is going to be good. And if that's what the Democrats are doing, look out, because these numbers will begin to switch, for sure. And then at some point, it'll, you know, you'll dip under 50%. At some point, who knows, you might be back to that 36% number, um, and then, then it's, uh, it's red alert and look out. But at least as of right now, the polls, it, this is like the honeymoon period for the impeachment inquiry, where 55% of the country, strong majority, are like, okay, yeah, 
Let's go. Let's do this thing. You just got to hope that the Democrats won't screw it up. And you just have to hope that the dynamics won't unfold like I'm pretty convinced they will. And what I mean by that is best case scenario, best case scenario for the Democrats. It gets through the House, which is still a question mark, by the way. It's a question mark as to whether or not they'll even have a vote on it. They could do the inquiry and then just never bring it to the House floor for a vote. But let's say for argument's sake they do bring it to the floor. It's possible it dies right there on the House floor. But best case scenario for the Democrats, it gets through the House and then dies in the Senate because you need two-thirds. And the evidence that I think is most compelling as to what will happen at that point is um, what happened with Bill Clinton where his approval rating went up under the same situation. It got through the House, died in the Senate. His approval rating went up. Now, some people argue, well, yeah, but that was, he was impeached over a blowjob and, and you know, lying on the stand about that. Who cares? That's why his approval rating went up. But again, this is why I submit to you guys that it matters how they make the argument. It matters what they're saying, and it matters what the Republican counterargument is. And if the Republican counterargument is what it's been so far, which is, yeah, okay, but Biden's corrupt. That's why I did this. That's going to land a hell of a lot more than you think it will. Okay, so I just want to warn everybody up front. But having said that, I have to concede, have to concede at this point, as of right now, it is good news for Democrats. That is subject to change, and I think it will change. But as of right now, it's good. And it's not like when the impeachment inquiry was launched, it was immediate that everybody was like, nah, come on, this isn't going to work. You're wasting your time. It's not, this doesn't rise to that level. No. At this point, you have a majority of the country that says, go right ahead. Okay. Next. Wayne LaPierre is a bitch. Wayne LaPierre is a bitch. All right, here we go. So the NRA's Wayne LaPierre met with Trump recently in the wake of the impeachment inquiry. And um, this is what Politico is saying about it. The National Rifle Association confirmed that CEO Wayne LaPierre met with the president, uh, Donald Trump, at the White House on Friday, but denied any discussions took place about, quote, special arrangements involving the group's ongoing support of the president. The response came after the New York Times reported on the meeting Friday, stating Trump and LaPierre discussed prospective gun legislation and whether the NRA could provide support for the president amid upcoming impeachment proceedings and his re-election campaign. The NRA is not inclined to discuss private conversations with the president, an NRA spokesman said in a statement. However, many of the accounts of the meeting, as reported in the New York Times, are inaccurate. The NRA categorically denies any discussion occurred about special arrangements pertaining to the NRA's support of the president and vice versa. Counterpoint, there's no good reason for you to be at the White House, and anything you did would have been improper. <laughs> so, like, here's the thing. The NRA has quite literally given millions to Trump over the years, okay, and for his campaign. I think it was, I think it was $3 million, if I'm remembering the number correctly. So, for those of you who were born yesterday or, or are insanely naive, what that means is they are buying influence. So... When legislation comes up pertaining to guns, their issue, they know they bought Trump. They know they bought the Republican Party. They know they're buying inaction. Even to the point where, like, the most milquetoast, mild, reasonable, vanilla gun reforms 
there's, you know, a scandal over. And and they act like, you know, by the way, they gaslight and pretend like, oh, well, we support background checks. And then, of course, they try to block them. Um, they've done this in every conceivable way. They did it with, um, uh, what's the name? Bump stock. Bump stock. They, they said, oh, when there was a, a mass shooting that happened and somebody was using a bump stock, they released a statement like, oh, we should look into maybe banning that under the current FDA regulations. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And then come to find out, that's not a thing. Like, we don't have the current regulations to do it, and that wouldn't be the agency in charge of doing it. So it was gaslighting. It was like, oh, sure, under current regulations, maybe we can do something, but you can't. So it's their head faking, like, oh, we believe in the regulation, and they don't believe in the regulation, and they're, not, and they're actually actively fighting against it. Well, now they know, oh, old Donnie boy's in a corner at the moment, and he's vulnerable. He needs some friends, so how about we pounce on that? So let's say, hypothetically, they just went and only talked about legislation. Well, the other part is implied. This is why the, oh, you know, there wasn't a literal quid pro quo argument is so stupid. Because we're not second graders. Everybody knows what it means in these scenarios. Everybody knows that when ExxonMobil is giving politicians millions of dollars, that comes with strings attached. They don't have to say it. They know that those politicians are going to support that giant $4 billion a year subsidy that's given to the oil industry. So it's the same thing here. Wayne LaPierre, of course Wayne LaPierre. Is, is looking for favors, is looking for certain votes and certain positions on gun issues. And even the fact that he just went to talk to Trump when he's embattled like he is, and he's trying to sway him on these issues. That's a problem in and of itself. I don't care if the current impeachment inquiry was brought up or if the legal bills were specifically brought up, because even if he doesn't pay for the actual legal bills, he's still going to give him massive campaign contributions in 2020. So it's still an effective quid pro quo, even though it's not literally said. But, you know, it is possible, and they are sloppy enough where he could have literally said it. Because he doesn't view, like, Trump doesn't know and doesn't care if these things are improper or illegal or anything else. He doesn't care. He doesn't care at all. He's gotten away with everything to this point anyway. I mean, they're trying with the impeachment inquiry now. By the way, that is going to fail, but I digress from that. Um, but he gets away with everything anyway. So, he what, like, I'm saying the NSA or the CIA or whoever it was was spying on Trump's Ukraine call, and they were, you know, taking the notes and whatnot. I'm sure that there's a conversation with Wayne LaPierre and Trump happening in that White House, which is probably maybe even more direct. Like I said, perhaps they didn't do a direct quid pro quo, but it's obvious. It, it, it's the undertone of the entire conversation. Trump is alone. Trump is embattled. He's isolated. He needs political friends. And if all he has to do is say, oh, fine, I'll drop any and all ideas of gun regulation, if that's all he has to say, he'd do that in a second in order to cover his own ass, which is exactly what's happening here. So it's kind of hilarious that they're denying it. Denying what? There's literally not a single good reason for you to be at the White House. Not one. Either you're just lobbying on gun reform, which is already terrible, and the reason you got that meeting with the president is because you donated so much money to him. Either that, or it goes a step further, and it's like, we're going to talk about gun uh, legislation and your position on it, and I'm going to tie it to offering help with your legal bills when it comes to impeachment. Either one of those is terrible. Either one of those is bad. Either one of those shows that special interests and lobbies run our government. Even as Mr. Drain the Swamp pretends like he's fighting that, my ass cheeks, you're fighting that. All right, next. 
So last week I told you that the Democrats try to draw neat lines around what you're allowed to talk about. And, um, and also that's why impeaching Trump over that specific issue of the Ukraine phone call is stupid because the counter argument from the Republicans, even though it might not be landing right this moment, I think in the long run it will land. And that counter argument is, you're coming after me for doing a phone call trying to get dirt. What about the dirt that actually exists? What about the fact the Bidens are corrupt? His son's getting $50,000 a month from a Ukrainian energy company? Are you kidding me? This is okay? So they're going to hammer away on that. And that's why the how dare you, sir, approach to politics and the norms humping and the don't be impolite arguments are so silly because you're only winning that argument. You're only going to win that argument in the long run in your own bubble with people who already agree with you. Okay, so um, now we have, again, this story is mind-blowing, but it's real. Take a look at what happened with the Daily Beast. They're reporting here exclusive Biden campaign demands TV news executives stop booking Giuliani. The former vice president's aides say that it it is editorially irresponsible to book the president's personal lawyer. All right, now let me pause. Why? Why is he saying that? Well, you know, hey, a lot of the stuff Giuliani says, he's a buffoon. And he's really dumb. So that's clear. And, and, you know, that's always screamed off the TV screen to me when I watch Giuliani. However, however, what is Giuliani focusing on like a laser here? And what's he just stating over and over and over and over and over? Every time they ask him about the phone call, Trump's phone call with uh, the Ukrainian leader asking for dirt, Giuliani's like, oh, but there is dirt. And that's what's really important. And that's what we're going to talk about. His son's getting $50,000 from an energy company in Ukraine. Why? He's got no expertise in that field. Is that the way it should work? The vice president's son should get ridiculous amounts of money from foreign governments or foreign companies? You're telling me there's not influence buying going on here? Every time Giuliani's on TV, hammering away at that point. They said there's no reason to have him on. There's no reason to have him on. He's attached to Trump at the hip. What do you mean there's no reason to have him? Of course there's reason to have him on. He's Trump's personal lawyer. Are you kidding me? Of course there's a reason. Stop pretending like there's no reason. You might, might not like it, but there's obviously a reason. See, this is what I mean when I say they try to draw neat lines around what you're allowed to talk about and who you're allowed to talk to. And the reason is they know Giuliani's busting up Biden and exposing Biden and his family. They know he's doing that. That's why they're, how dare you, sir? Why would you invite on such a man who's uncivil and impolite? And spreading demonstrable falsehoods. Oh, demonstrable falsehoods. So why do you care? If what he's saying is obviously untrue and it's easy to debunk and there's nothing here, well, then you wouldn't give a shit. You'd be like, okay, let the idiot run his mouth. It's fine. Nobody's going to believe it anyway. No, you're afraid people do believe it. And what a weird authoritarian move. Guys, just so you know, because when I first read this, I was thinking, okay, so Biden's campaign released a statement prodding the news companies, hey, don't have this guy on. No. It was a letter that wasn't supposed to be for the public, a letter directly to the executives of all the news companies, basically telling them, you know, I demand you stop putting them on. You demand they stop putting on Rudy Giuliani. That's not the way this works. First of all, uh, 
a president ordering media companies to do something, that would be insanely authoritarian. A campaign doing it? That's somehow even more pathetic, because the idea that you think you should have that ability or have that sway, it would be bad enough if it was a president, but for you, it's even worse, because, like, who are you? <laughs> the former vice president, and now you're running for, and now you're running for president, and you're running an abysmal campaign? Guys, this is the only way that he thinks he has a shot. I have, in an authoritarian way, I have to control the narrative and tell people what they are allowed to do and are not allowed to do. It's just so embarrassing. What are you doing? So embarrassing. You're going to demand to TV executives, don't have on the guy that makes me look bad. Don't have because he's stating demonstra- demonstrably incorrect things. Or maybe some of the things are correct, and that's why you're afraid that he's on there, because you think that narrative will stick, because guess what? It's going to in the long run. So here's what they say. Joe Biden's presidential campaign made an extraordinary request to executives of top news channels on Sunday, asking them to no longer book Donald Trump's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, on their program. In a letter addressed to the heads of the major news and cable networks, as well as top news anchors, two top Biden campaign advisors made the case that by peddling routine falsehoods about the work of Biden and his son, Hunter, in Ukraine, Giuliani's presence on the airwaves is editorially untenable. We are writing today with grave concern that you continue to book Rudy Giuliani on your, on your air to spread false, debunked conspiracy theories on behalf of Donald Trump. While you often fact-check his statements in real time during your discussions, that is no longer enough. By giving him your airtime, you are allowing him to introduce increasingly unhinged, unfounded, and desperate lies into the national conversation. The letter from top aides Anita Dunn and Kate Bedingfield reads, This is embarrassing, and it's incredibly authoritarian. This is the only way they feel. How are you going to fare in a one-on-one election with Donald Trump, where he's, whatever little weakness you have, Joe, He's going to drill down on that. He's going to focus like a laser on whatever little weaknesses you have. And the only counter argument you have is that the media shouldn't allow the things that are being said because they're not good for me and I don't, I don't know how to respond, but I'll just say stop even allowing the conversations. You, in politics, you cannot draw cute little neat lines around the things that you declare are the only things that you're allowed to discuss. That's not the way this works. You're going to exploit every single little weakness you have, and what you're showing here is you have no real response. And by the way, all this, what did I say from the very beginning with this issue? It's like Clinton Foundation denialism 2.0. Because the media all decided at the same time in the 2016 election, all the, all the stories about the Clinton Foundation, and they're all, you know, these are all conspiracy theories, and so we're not going to take them seriously, and we're just going to brush them to the side. And what happened? Donald Trump was hammering Hillary Clinton over the head with it, nonstop, calling her corrupt, painting her as a status quo politician who is the swamp. That's exactly what's happening now with Biden. The same thing, the exact same thing. The media is like, oh, you know, they're getting demands from him. Hey, stop allowing on anybody to make the case that Biden's corrupt. And they're trying to, uh, yeah, these are unfounded conspiracies, conspiracies, conspiracies. That's not going to work, man. In the same way it didn't work for the Clinton Foundation, it's not going to work for the Biden-Ukraine thing. You want to know why? Because the, the sons and daughters of vice presidents should not be making $50,000 a month from a random Ukrainian energy company because we know that that's buying influence. We know that how dirty politics is. We know Biden has family members who literally started uh, working as lobbyists and had interests that overlapped with his father, father's committee assignments. 
we know that, you know, Biden was involved in war profiteering in the sense that he had family members who, uh, you know, made money in defense as Biden oversaw the occupation of Iraq. The reason why he's flipping out is because he knows there's dirt there, and so he's only relying on the good graces of the media to be his attack dog for him. And just so everybody knows, you want to know the bias of the media? They have a pro-establishment bias, a pro-corporate bias, and that's why they're the thing they live night and day for is playing defense for the corporate Democrats. I just watched a segment the other night with Cuomo where he was like, there, there's no false equivalence. There's whatever, what Biden did in Ukraine or what Trump did in Ukraine, it's not, it's not the same and it's not, and Trump is way worse and, and it doesn't, so he got, his, it's a conspiracy, his son got $50,000, but it's a conspiracy that there's anything wrong with that. Do you realize how dumb you sound to average people? And I'm somebody who, agrees with the left. So in theory, I should be more willing to look at something negative a Democrat does and go, well, that's not as bad. But no, you sound desperate and pathetic and dumb because your arguments make no sense. It, this is all they have, guys. This is all they have. Biden literally telling demanding TV executives, listen to him, don't have on Giuliani, don't have on anybody who's going to make the case against him and his family. That's not the way politics works, Joe. And you better sharpen your goddamn skills if you're up against Trump. Because it's, I saw a hilarious tweet the other day. I think it was Internet Hippo. It shows, it's, you know, hypothetical general election debate between Trump and Biden. And Trump says to Biden, you're corrupt. And Biden's response is, well, <laughs> now hold on now. These, what you need to understand is these kids these days, they need to start playing that game with the stick in the hoop like we played in the 1920s. And the last time that I was... Anyway, my time's up. Like, this is, what, this is the kind of politician we're talking about here. And you're telling me he's the most electable? He's the most electable. Are you out of your mind? It's like we live in the twilight zone where everybody's believing this thing that's just insanely backwards. Uh, he's still leading the polls, guys. I mean, he's tanking, don't get me wrong, but he's still leading. He's still up there. That's, that's crazy, and that's scary. And then you're begging for another, you know, four years of Donald Trump if, if you go in this direction. Bernie's the way, man. Bernie, oh, let's check if Bernie's son was making $50,000 a month from a Ukrainian energy firm. Oh, would you look at that? The answer is, eh, no, he wasn't. There's no there there with Bernie. What's Trump going to attack with? Bernie, you're crazy, and you want to, like, give people things that are really good and positive. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Oh, I'm crazy? I'm crazy. Well, you're corrupt, and you're representing the establishment, and you're screwing over working people. So if it's crazy to fight for working people, call me crazy. Trump has no argument against Bernie. Trump's got so much on Biden that he's flipping out and demanding. They don't even allow conversation on it. Pathetic, man. It's so pathetic. I cannot tell you how pathetic this is. And I can't believe that a week after I said to you guys, what the Democrats try to do is draw neat, clean lines around what's allowed to be talked about and what's not allowed to be talked about. As soon as I made that point, Biden like went out of his way to prove me right, where he's literally saying, don't, don't allow the thing where they're coming after me because I can't, I don't know how to respond to that, and it, that's going to land. That's my point. That's my point. That's my point. You see how pathetic the corporate Democrats are now?
Okay, next. All right, let's do one more on impeachment, and then we'll talk about whistleblowers. So you're about to see Democratic Representative Brad Schneider, he's from Illinois, um, and Elizabeth Warren here. They're going to demonstrate perfectly how I fear this impeachment inquiry can backfire on the Democrats because they really don't have good answers for very simple questions. Here's all of them. 
and here's what I think is going to happen. Here's what's totally unlikely to happen. Here's what's definitely not happening. So it's frustrating to me that, that we're watching that because why, why is there this collective delusion where everybody's pretending like there's no counter argument to what the Democrats are saying? Yeah, we all agree it was messed up for the president to try to pressure a foreign country to give dirt on the Bidens. We all agree that's messed up. Do we also agree that Joe Biden's son shouldn't have been making $50,000 a pop from the Ukrainian energy sector when he was vice president? Do we agree that other Biden relatives shouldn't set up uh, you know, jobs as lobbyists? and have interests that overlap with his committee hearings? Do we also agree that uh, as Biden oversaw the occupation of Iraq, he shouldn't have family members making money from the military industrial complex? Do we all agree to that too? I can tell you very clearly, I agree. Those things shouldn't be allowed either. Those things are corruption. But what you see now, because they have no out. This is just like Clinton Foundation denialism 2.0. The Clinton Foundation, the Democrats were forced to argue like, there's nothing wrong with Bill Clinton making millions of dollars, giving speeches to go theocratic dictators, and then Secretary of State Hillary Clinton giving them massive weapons deals. There's no problem with that at all. They're forced to make these ridiculous arguments to play for the team, and look at the result. Tell me that's not embarrassing, those clips you just saw. Hey, Elizabeth Warren, is it okay for the son of a vice president to make $50,000 on the board of a foreign energy company? Uh, no. But I, 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 I don't know. I have to check my plans. Are you kidding me? The other guy was even more pathetic than Elizabeth Warren. Well, he, uh, I think the president, uh, he's using his uh, power, and this is a separate question, what you're asking me. In order to defend Biden, they're forcing themselves to not just be like, yeah, they, he shouldn't do that, that's messed up, and that is corruption. And that's why this is a weak-ass argument coming from the Democrats. And I think in the long run, it'll implode on itself. And it's just really frustrating that nobody else is even entertaining this idea. Nobody's even entertaining it. The idea like, hey, what if this backfires massively? I saw uh, there's articles now where people are scrambling to try to take credit for impeachment. And they have these former... CIA people who are now congresswomen, and like five of them are taking credit. First of all, it's not, no, it wasn't you. Fall back. It was Al Green. It was Maxine Waters. It was Rashida Tlaib. They were the first ones to this. But either way, nobody's really taking credit because at some point it's going to turn to blame when it all backfires and when it 100% fails in the Senate. If it even gets to the Senate, it might fail in the House. So this, I mean, it's embarrassing to watch this. These guys, they ran two yards, and they're spiking the football, and they're not even anywhere near the end zone. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And then under the tiniest pushback, guys, it's not even like a, a crystal ball and soccer are not like, you know, tr trying to ask a hard question there. They're just asking a fair, reasonable question. And it comes across like a gotcha because they don't know how to answer. They don't know how to just be like, yeah, I think that's corruption too because – Democrat good, Republican bad, Biden good, Trump bad. This isn't going to backfire. Oh, yeah? Well, what about that argument being screamed through a megaphone for three months straight? Then what? Then what happens? Uh, is it still going to hold at 55% the impeachment numbers if after a while the counter argument seems a hell of a lot more loud and reasonable? I doubt it. But you're not allowed to say that. 
Because if you say that, I don't know, something, something, you're weak on Trump, even though the argument is, hey, what you're doing is probably going to help him, it's going to help him, makes it more likely he gets four more years. I want him out. I want him out. I don't want to, let's pause for you to get fucking virtue signaling points when you pretend like you're really anti-Trump as you do something that hurts him. That's fucking stupid. Can you think? Can you think? Can you use your brain a little bit? Hey, how will this unfold? Let's see. Is this a good move it, to actually reach the goal of getting him out? No, it's not. But it'll make me feel good because it feels like I'm being really anti-Trump, even though it'll probably help him. So, yeah, 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 impeachment. Okay, well, what about what uh, the dirt Trump was actually finding that he got, that Biden's son was getting $50,000 from a Ukrainian energy firm? Joe Biden has a son. I don't even know he had a son, bro. What are you talking about? Son? He don't have money or something. They got nothing to say. They got nothing to say. <laughs> what are you gonna say? What are they gonna say? Th- that question makes them say have to either say that's totally fine, <laughs> or just bullshit and dodge all day. Mrs. I have a plan for that. I have to check my plan to see if rank corruption is okay or not. Uh, uh, this is the issue they picked. Just so you know, there was a line that they said, hey, how dare he cross that line? Was that line killing a nine-year-old girl in his first military act who's an American girl, by the way, in a botched raid? Nope. Was that line... Um, sanctioning medicine going into Iran where people are now dying because they can't get their medicine in violation of the International Court of Justice, the top UN court? Nope. Was that line blocking food from going into a starving country, Venezuela, as we pretend like we're so concerned for the citizens of Venezuela? Nope. Was that line backing a Saudi Arabian genocide and arming them as he's also taking money personally through his hotel in D.C. from the Saudis? Nope. So what's the line? Oh, you asked for dirt on Hensley, Uncle Joseph? Oh, sir, that was so impolite and uncivil and norms violating. The norms! Oh, the norms, yes! The norms. Shove your norms up your ass. Don't give a shit about the norms. If you want to impeach him over the stuff that has a really strong argument and might work in the long run, by all means, I'm with you. You want to impeach him over genocide in Yemen and arming Saudi Arabia and vetoing a war powers resolution so we stop helping Saudi Arabia because he's taking money at his hotels? You want to impeach him over that? I have to support you if you do that because that argument might actually work and it might make the Democrats' numbers go up, the Republican numbers go down, and help us in 2020. But you're going to impeach him over protecting Joe Biden's honor when he doesn't have it, when his family is sold out, and you're going to pretend like he's not corrupt? Please. I can't, man. It's so frustrating. Look at the Republicans. Say what you want about them. They'll get together and message, and then they'll stick to it. Look at the lack of planning and organizing from Democrats here. Can you imagine Republicans giving that kind of an answer to that kind of a question? You can't, because they'd have a stronger response that they all say like that. But you're asking a Democratic representative and a Democratic presidential candidate a very simple question about the Biden's corruption, 
and none of them have any idea what to say. You want to know why, guys? Because this isn't planned. The whole impeachment inquiry thing, if you're going to do it, you got to be planned. It's got to be a full court press. you got to do it right. But what are they doing? They just fucking, they have no idea. They have no idea what they're doing. And this is why I think it's going to help Trump, because they don't know what they're doing. They're just taking a shot in the dark. But it's okay. Let's pretend like there's no weaknesses in the plan and everything's hunky-dory and uh, it'll all work out or something. So one of the grossest parts of the Ukraine scandal is that now mainstream media outlets are suddenly um, in love with whistleblowers. Now, that is uh, not a bad thing on its own, but these are the same people who have relentlessly smeared and gone after Snowden and Assange and Manning. Um, So let's watch a clip on this. CNN almost gets it right, okay? But then... Listen to what they say at the end of this segment, because this says everything about how they're trying to maintain previous narratives while also embracing the whistleblower from today. We still don't know who the whistleblower is, but the complaint's contents have catapulted Washington into an impeachment inquiry into President Trump. The now declassified document alleging Trump tried to get Ukraine to interfere with the 2020 U.S. election. With all the talk of a whistleblower in Washington in the past few days, what does that exactly mean? It's defined as an employee who brings wrongdoing by an employer or other employees to the attention of a government or law enforcement agency, and who is commonly vested by statute with rights and remedies for retaliation. In this broad category of people, one of the most famous in American history Mark Felt, better known as Deep Throat. The FBI informant helped take down the Nixon administration, divulging crucial information about Watergate. And in 1971, military analyst Daniel Ellsberg leaked top-secret Department of Defense information about why the U.S. entered the Vietnam War. William Binney and Thomas Drake were NSA officials who informed the Inspector General about government surveillance programs they perceived as invading citizens' privacy by monitoring their Internet activity. FBI agent Colleen Rowley flagged then-FBI Director Robert Mueller about intelligence failures before the 9-11 attacks. Or Sergeant Joseph Darby, who told military investigators in 2004 about inmate abuse at the Abu Ghraib prison in Iraq. Not everyone who blew the whistle on the government has been rewarded. For some, it meant the end of their careers, or even worse. Winner's willful, purposeful disclosure caused exceptionally grave damage to U.S. national security. Former NSA contractor Reality Winner leaked a secret report about Russian hacking of the 2016 election to a news organization. Now she's serving a sentence of more than five years after pleading guilty to leaking that classified information to the media. Winner will serve a term of incarceration that will give pause to others who are entrusted with our country's sensitive national security information. The Air Force veteran's mother telling CNN in March she's being painted as evil. I think that we as Americans deserved that proof. And 
And so how, how is it that she put us in danger by giving us that proof? When there's the first person arrested under the Trump administration using the Espionage Act, established in 1917 during World War I, originally intended to prosecute anyone interfering in U.S. war efforts. So people like spies. In modern times, it's the same law that sent Edward Snowden into exile in Russia. The former intelligence contractor accused of leaking NSA documents revealing a secret global surveillance program. These leaks have inflamed and sensationalized for ignoble purposes the work that intelligence community does lawfully under strict oversight and compliance. Earlier this month, Snowden said he'd like to return to the U.S. if he's guaranteed a fair trial. I'm not asking for a parade. I'm not asking for a pardon. I'm not asking for a pass. Uh, what I'm asking for is a fair trial. And this is the bottom line that any American should require. And in May, the Justice Department indicting WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange of 18 Espionage Act counts, ordering him extradited to the U.S. after spending seven years at the Ecuadorian Embassy in London. Assange charged with conspiring to help former intelligence analyst Chelsea Manning, who spent two separate terms behind bars in connection with leaking secret Defense Department documents in 2010, published to WikiLeaks' website. President Obama commuted her sentence, and she was released in 2017. Manning telling CNN in May she has no regrets. I did what I did with the information that I had, the knowledge that I had, and the tools and resources that I had at the time. In 2010, when all this happened, and all this happened was a very different, you know, landscape. And it's important to point out the difference between the whistleblower involved in this Ukraine matter and folks like Julian Assange and Reality Winner, who face criminal prosecution. Uh, they leaked or helped leak secrets for publication. That's a lot different than this case, where the person went through the channels within the government established by law. So who counts as a whistleblower we're seeing is somewhat subjective. As James Clapper, the former director of national intelligence, put it, one man's weaker is another man's whistleblower. So there are legal definitions here. Absolutely. And to be clear, the person in this case, as you so correctly note, is protected by the legal definition of whistleblower. Joseph McGuire, the FDD, and ISA made clear that this person followed the letter of the law completely. Right. Very, very different. That'd be a very, very, very different. It's very different. So in other words, what the argument they're trying to make is like, are we like what this one is saying? So this one's great and the hero, and they went, went through all the proper channels. And the other ones, I was oh, yeah, there's legal definitions, and, you know, you got to go through the proper channels. And so it's very, it's very, very different. And they're facing criminal charges, so obviously that means that, you know, probably did something wrong, right? Oh, boy, see? So they're trying to have their cake and eat it, too. We love this new whistleblower who exposed Donald Trump. Exposed him. Exposed him. But, oh, the, but, uh, the, the, the uh, Snowden, uh, the thorn in the thigh of the NSA, who's spying on absolutely everybody and collecting metadata on everybody and has no real oversight. They have a rubber stamp FISA court, but it's the proper channels, proper channels. Snowden, just so everybody knows, Snowden and Manning tried to do that. Or, uh, yes, yeah, Snowden and Manning tried to do that. Now, in the case of Julian Assange, he's uh, playing a role as an actual, you know, journalist. So, namely, holding people in power accountable for, for things that they shouldn't do. Like, oh, hey, I, um, you know, Julian Assange, I'm going to show the American people that their tax dollars were going towards bombing innocent people and then doing a double tap and killing the first responders and the soldiers that you're paying were laughing about it. And, oh, yeah, by the way, those soldiers never spent a day in jail, even though they murdered civilians and then circled and murdered more civilians and then laughed about it. 
But Chelsea Manning did spend time in jail. They're going after Julian Assange right this second. So that's his job. His job is to expose what the powerful are doing, and he did well. But some, that, that, that's different. Criminal charges. Right. And the charges are bullshit. In the same way that if charges were brought up against this whistleblower, it'd be bullshit. Now, just so everybody knows, it, the leaks that just happened, let's not get it twisted. We know damn well it came from, like, the CIA or the NSA, whoever was, like, spying on them. So that happened. That happened. But notice something. Oh, wow. This show is consistent. Hey, the only time that you're going to hear me really go after a whistleblower is when they're exposing something that we all agree it's insane to expose. Like, if somebody's leaking the nuclear launch codes, well, then, no, we know that that's, like, you know, somebody who's really not a whistleblower. They're trying to cause problems. They're trying to, like, bring destruction. That might be an actual case of, like, hey, maybe this is, like, espionage. Okay? But outside of that, the government just takes whatever they don't like that exposes them, and they say, you you can't talk about this. Top secret. Classified. And it's like, well, no, we're not playing that game. Edward Snowden is a hero because he showed that the government's spying on all of us, collecting our metadata. They don't have any good oversight. They have a rubber stamp FISA court, which lets them get away with whatever they want to get away with. They're spying on their loved ones. I mean, this dude went deep and exposed everything. And, by the way, he was really careful with what to release and what not to release, what actually threatens national security and what doesn't. That's a hero. Chelsea Manning, exposing our war crimes. Hero. Julian Assange, exposing the powerful. Hero. That's what these people are. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean I agree with them on everything. You know, I I was prodding Julian Assange where, like, okay, great, you exposed the DNC. I'm happy he did that. I just wish he also exposed the RNC. <laughs> like, I, I wish, now he could say, hey, I didn't have access to that. Maybe. But I don't think he really even wanted at that point because he was just trying to go after the DNC. Now, again, I'm in favor of the DNC leaks. But point is, I don't agree with everything they do. But no, there is no difference. The idea, oh, there, there's a difference because we don't like them. But we like this new leaker because he's getting Trump. Like, that's what they're trying to do. And that's what's so frustrating here is, like, they're trying to act like whistleblowers are great now because we have a whistleblower on Trump. But when it was whistleblowers before Trump who were still doing the right thing, they don't give them their due. They don't give them their credit. And even to this day, as they're praising whistleblowers and praising this one under Trump, they're like, fuck. But it's different. There's criminal prosecution and there's rules that you'd say what a whistleblower is and isn't. By the way, this is why these people are hired by CNN. All those hosts you just saw there, this is why they're hired. Because they're not going to do the kind of analysis I just did for you. They're not going to say, hold on now. No, that they, these people are actually heroes as well. So let's acknowledge that. They're not going to do that. Why? Because the deep state, and yes, that is a real thing, even if you want to pretend like it's not, they don't want them to do that. Now, I'm not saying it's a mustache-twirling conspiracy. I'm saying the only reason they were hired is because they're not going to rock the boat too much. And they're going to push the narrative that the powerful want them to push. And the narrative the powerful want them to push is, after all this, oh, the, the leaker on Trump, good, the leakers and the whistleblowers on, you know, under Obama or exposing war crimes or the U.S. military, bad. It's, that's different. It's criminal prosecution and stuff. And this is the legal definitions we're dealing with. So we... I mean, it's, it's different. No, it's not. And they all deserve credit. And CNN should be calling for Edward Snowden to come home. CNN should be calling for the release of Chelsea Manning, who's still being persecuted to this day. CNN should be calling for the release of Julian Assange. Because all the time, they all pretend like, no, oh, the First Amendment, oh, this pr- 
president is coming after the First Amendment because he's being mean to Chuck Todd. No, you guys all sit there and cheer as, as Julian Assange is a victim of untoward state power, and you're fine with him being persecuted and prosecuted. You're fine with that. You like that. And then you turn around and scream about the First Amendment. No, the heart of the First Amendment is what he was doing. Hey, I'm exposing the powerful. See, this is stuff that people should know. I like how I just spit across the room. (laughs) But he's exposing the powerful, see? No. See, he's doing what they're supposed to be doing, so he makes them look bad. So they're like, yeah, it's different. Criminal prosecution. Embarrassing, pathetic, stupid, dumb. They almost had it, and then they had to drive it into a ditch at the end of the conversation and the end of the segment there. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, the Bernie Bro smear is back, and we have Robert De Niro in the show. Don't go anywhere, y'all. Stay right there.
bitch. All right, we're back, y'all. We are back. We are back. You know, I shaved a little bit yesterday, and I'm trying to figure out if I look younger or older. And I can't figure it out. It's definitely one or the other, though. I can assure you I don't look the same. I didn't fully shave, but I like 50% shaved. But um, I don't know how I'm, I'm liking it. I've kind of had some degree of facial hair for maybe a year and a half now. So I don't know if this is too low or just right or whatever. Um, but, yeah, anyway, it is what it is. I also should transition to wearing glasses more because I'm a jackass. And uh, sometimes I have the day and night contacts and I'll keep them in. For a really, really long time, and that's really never a good, never a good move because it can uh, can do damage to your eyes, and they start feeling dry and all that stuff. So it'd be better if I just transitioned to uh, glasses more often. I need a more comfortable pair, though. The glasses I have are very, uh, they're metal ones, and they're like heavy, and yeah, I, I need to look at the uh, plastic ones because I'm sure those feel lighter and just feel better on your face. Mm. Anyway, we got a lot of stuff coming up in uh, the second half of the show here. There's the Bernie Bro smear, which is back and worse than ever. And then we have the Robert De Niro thing that everybody's talking about. Twitter lit up with that. Um, And then we also have, is America's dad Bernie Sanders listening to my framing listening to my framing because he went on Colbert and he sounded a hell of a lot like uh, you know what I wanted him to sound like so we will analyze that that should be a fun story and then unfortunately Hillary's back I think she's doing a round of press because she feels vindicated about what's happening with Trump right now She feels vindicated with the impeachment inquiry, so she wants to come out of uh, Nowheresville and do a victory lap. But, of course, you know, my fear is every time she opens her mouth, his his base just commits again to show up in 2020. (laughs) So, so, you know, go away. But she's also selling a book. I'm sure that has part, that's part of it. Her and uh, Chelsea. Mm-hmm. So anyway, without further ado, let's get started. And uh, the Bernie bros are up. So the Bernie bros smear is back, and uh, it's worse than ever. MSNBC is really going to jump the shark here. nowhere to go, but there is no up to go. And all of those support, I actually heard overheard someone saying that I thought was an interesting point, that um, basically at this point, if you are still supporting Sanders as opposed to Warren, it's kind of showing your sexism, because she has more detailed plans and her plans have evolved. I thought it was an interesting point, and I think there may be something to it. Yeah, I agree with all that. <laughs> it's, um, it's, you know, that's 
like, that's embarrassing, first of all, for everybody in that clip. Um, but also, yeah, it's, you're smearing, and it's disgusting. And uh, they should all apologize. And I mean that, too. They should. I mean, I won't hold my breath, but that is totally classless, what they just did there. Millions and millions and millions of people, 47% of the Democratic base voted for Bernie Sanders in 2016, and that's with all the shenanigans of the party managers happening. So the argument is, if you're supporting Bernie over Elizabeth Warren, well, you're just sexist. But hold on. I just did an incredibly detailed video um, the other day where I explained why it is that Bernie Sanders is preferable to Elizabeth Warren. And every single argument I made had something to do with proposed policies, record, and strategy. Those are the things I focused on. I've said nothing about gender at all. So this idea of like, well, I mean, come on, you're all sexist. Or maybe Bernie supporters generally speaking, have an ideology and pay close attention to what's going on, and he fits their ideology. I mean, we're talking about a candidate here who wants to eliminate all student loan debt. Does Elizabeth Warren? No. She wants to means test it and only have a certain percentage up to a certain point. Um, We're talking about a candidate who wants to eliminate all medical debt in Bernie Sanders. Does Elizabeth Warren? No. Those are just Two examples, and I could give you a thousand more. Um, Elizabeth Warren voting for Donald Trump's incredibly bloated, disgusting military budget that gave him more money than he even asked for. Bernie voted against that. I can give you so many issues where it's like, okay, Bernie outflanked Elizabeth Warren. Bernie is to the left of Elizabeth Warren. Bernie represents my ideology much closer than Warren does. And for MSNBC to just brush that aside and... I think that's a wonderful point. Yes. You don't agree with my candidate on sexist? Yes. I mean, that's disgraceful. And also, I should note for the record here, and perhaps you won't be surprised to hear this, but um, that woman who made the claim, first of all, she worked for, like, Center for American Progress, which is, like, unfortunately corporate Democrat central now. It used to be the case that they weren't that, and they had some good left voices in there, Uh, but then they moved away from that and moved very clearly towards the pro-Hillary wing of the party, neoliberal corporatist. Um, But also, that woman is the daughter of billionaires. That explains a lot now, doesn't it? (laughs) Because Bernie is definitely harder on them. We just discussed Bernie's wealth tax the other day. His wealth tax goes well beyond that of Elizabeth Warren. By the way, Am am I against Elizabeth Warren's? No, not at all. But Bernie's goes further, and I support the one that goes further. Nothing to do with with, uh, race. Nothing to do with gender. That's the next one. You know, at some point they'll bring up uh, they'll bring up race in one way or another. Um, But it's it's just so gross. This is what we're up against. And just so everybody knows, this is where you go when you have nothing to say. They have nothing to say. Would they be able to point for point? rebut the segment I did where I gave the specific reasons why I support Bernie over Elizabeth Warren? Would they be able to do that? No. They wouldn't be able to do that. They wouldn't be able to rebut it. So what do they do? It's easy to just swat it all aside and be like, ah, sexist. Well, congratulations. I hope you feel good about yourself. And this is why new media, my show, is, is 
growing and why cable TV is going the other direction. Because that, that's the analysis you get there. That's the coverage you get there. I, like, I'd like to think that on some level, deep down, everybody watching that is going to go, you know, that's not right, man. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the MSNBC viewers have been sufficiently brainwashed into zombies who just smear their political opponents um, in the most over-the-top ways. Maybe that is the case. I don't know, but this is unacceptable. MSNBC should be embarrassed. They should be ashamed. And um, congratulations, because imagine this is what they're doing now, and then, God forbid, Elizabeth Warren wins the nomination. Then they'll turn around and ask and, and berate you for not, you know, for not doing unity and joining them immediately. It's like, well, maybe you should have thought of that when you were smearing us in the most over-the-top ways. Now, understand, man, we have substantive criticisms of them, so it's different. It's totally different. Do I want their votes in the general election if Bernie wins the nomination? Of course I do. But my criticisms of them in the first place were always substantive. They weren't personal. They weren't smears. They weren't attacks. It was policy-related. So they should be able to turn around and vote, uh, you know, vote for Bernie in a general election. But when you attack people in such personal ways and you smear them and then you berate them for not doing unity in the general, it's like, well, what did you expect? You just argued that you know, all Bernie supporters are sexist. Like, what did you expect was going to happen? You thought they were going to bend the knee all of a sudden? You thought that you know, it would go well for you? Like, so what? I just spit in your eye and slapped you across the face. Now shut the fuck up and fall in line. Oh, you think that's going to work? And then also there's the hilarious thing. Like, what's the other, what did they do last election? They started uh, berating Bernie Sanders supporters. They, oh, they turned around and voted for Trump in the general. First of all, no, they didn't. There were more Hillary supporters in the primary of 2008 that voted for McCain over Obama than there were Bernie supporters who voted for um, Trump and not Hillary in the general. So in other words, her base, turned more right-wing when she lost than Bernie's wing did, than, than Bernie's supporters did in the primary. So that, that's not even true. And, but also, we, there are a lot of Bernie supporters who lived in safe states who, when, they, when Bernie didn't get the nomination in 2016, they voted for Jill Stein. Now, how hilariously ironic is it that she's like calling you sexist for not supporting a female candidate when a lot of these people in safe states in the last election voted for a female candidate. <laughs> but back then she berate you, uh, you know, you were called sexist Bernie bros then, but then when you voted for Jill Stein, you were no longer sexist Bernie bros. All of a sudden you were like, I don't know, Trump lovers, unserious people, whatever. They came up with a new smear because they always do. But it's just funny that the same people that call a sexist then ignore the fact that many, many people in safe states voted for a woman in the general. So anyway, the Bernie bro smear is back and it's worse than ever. And, uh, you got a little taste of it there. Okay. Next.
So this moment went viral yesterday. Robert De Niro flipped out on Fox News uh, while he was on CNN and also flipped out at Trump here. Um, This is a very rare interview with Robert De Niro, which is probably one of the main reasons why it's noteworthy. But also, here's what he said. This guy should not be president, period. And when you say that, folks on Fox come after you. I remember the Tonys when he got up there and cursed. A lot of shit. Fuck them. Okay, well, you know, (laughs) so it's not an FCC violation, but it is still a Sunday morning. Well, I do wonder why you choose to go that way. Let me say something. We are in a a moment in our lives, in this country, where this guy is like a gangster. He's come along and he's said things, done things we say over and over again. This is terrible. We're in a terrible situation. We're in a terrible situation, and this guy just keeps going on and on and on without being stopped. Hmm. Let's put in a break. Let's leave in a commercial. More of Robert De Niro in just a minute. You know, what's interesting about that clip is that in real life, he sounds a lot like one of his characters. Fuck him. Fuck him. <laughs> like, he sounds like he's playing a gangster character there. That's so funny. He really does sound exactly like one of his characters. Uh, also, Brian Stelter is, like, the least talented person to ever be on TV. <laughs> like, there's no, like, why is this dude on TV? He's got nothing to offer. He's not interesting. He's not entertaining. He's not particularly poignant. He just, like, <laughs> he's trying to say, oh, did you use the naughty no-no words? Like, oh, God, please stop it. Oh, make it stop. Make it stop. By the way, he goes on to say that Trump, um, Trump is like a gangster, but in many ways, a lot of the uh, you know gangsters had more character than he does because at least with the gangsters, they had a code and they would stick to it. So in other words, like for example, they would never throw anybody under the bus. You know, one of the rules of being a gangster is that you never snitch ever. So like you always keep your mouth shut, and and there's a very logical reason for that because. It's very hard to bring down organized crime if nobody says anything. If you can't get anybody to flip on anybody, then they probably can't make their case in court. The law enforcement has nowhere to go. What are they going to do? What are they going to do? They have nobody who's flipping on everybody to explain what's going on here. So they just they have to build their own case, and that's a lot of hard work to get a lot of evidence in order to bring people down. And, you know, De Niro's point is, like, Trump will throw anybody under the bus at any moment for any reason if he feels slighted even a little bit, and he doesn't know how to, like, like, the funny thing is, the more distance there is from people and Trump, he can get them to fall in line. So, like, he, his base loves him and would do anything for him, but they're, they're at a distance from him. So, like, his supporters are rabid and will always be there, but the closer they are to him if they're in his campaign, you know, if, if they are in his, um, his administration, those are the ones who he's up, throw you under the bus, throw you under the bus, throw you under the bus. And then, as any gangster knows, you do that long enough, it's going to come back to bite you in the ass because then all of them will flip on you. And they all got a story to tell. And they all know where the bodies are buried. So that was an interesting point that he made there. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, I find it hilarious that uh, he's notorious, too, by the way, for being really awkward in person, for, like, not really knowing how to carry a conversation and being kind of, like, aloof and on his own and in his own head. And you can see it a little bit there. Like, at the end of the clip, he's, like, looking around, like, how do I get out of here type stuff? But, um, yeah, it's hilarious that he sounds exactly like one of his characters. He's told about how Fox News comes after you. Fuck them. 
fuck them. And then I says to Gino, I says to him, hey, get the revolver. We got some business to go take care of. You understand? <laughs> uh, funny. Now you're going to have people blowing Robert De Niro all the time because, uh, you know, anti-Trump, and he said naughty words, so now people will love him. Okay. Now we go to America's dad, Bernard. So boy, oh boy, do I have a story for all of you. Um, Is America's dad, Bernard Sanders, taking secular talk framing advice? Maybe. Well, he was on uh, Colbert, and listen to the argument that he makes when he's asked the same question that Elizabeth Warren has been asked a lot recently, which is, will you raise taxes on the middle class? in order to pay for Medicare for All. Is there an increase in taxes on the middle class to pay for Medicare for All? Or rather, where would the tax burden go to pay for that? Okay. Under my legislation, um, to 15 co-sponsors, I believe, in the Senate now, nobody in America will pay any more premiums. Just talked to a woman the other day who paid $1,700 a month, $20,000 a year, gone. No more co-payments, gone. No more out-of-pocket expenses, gone. Nobody will go bankrupt. Right now, 500,000 people in America go bankrupt because of medical bills. All of that is gone. Nobody in America under my bill will pay more than $200 a year in total for their prescription drugs and will stop the ripping off of the American people by the pharmaceutical industry. Now, having said that, is health care free? No, it is not. So what we do is exempt the first $29,000 of a person's income. You make less than $25,000, $29,000, you pay nothing in taxes. Above that, in a progressive way, with the wealthiest people in this country paying the largest percentage, people do pay more in taxes. But if I say to you that right now you're paying $20,000 a year in a tax called a premium for the insurance companies, that's gone. And then I say, Stephen, you're paying $10,000 a year now to the federal government. You're 10000 to the good. You'd ask me, where do I sign up for that? So. Kind of. Kind of. I mean, he's over there. Smidge off. But he's right there. He's knocking on the door. He called the premium attack. You're right there, Bernard. So if I was advising him, what I would tell him is that we just got to clean it up a little bit, okay? It's a good answer. It's a very solid answer, way better than Elizabeth Warren's. We got to clean it up a little bit. We got to get, get it more concise, and we got to get it more punchy. So in other words, you know, here, let's, let's try to sum it up, and let's say I was just asked that question by Colbert. Are you going to raise taxes on the middle class in order to pay for Medicare for all? No, because I'm eliminating the private taxes and raising the public taxes. The private taxes are premiums, co-pays, deductibles, every sort of fee that you pay to a private health insurance company, that's a tax. You have to pay it in order to get your health care. I'm eliminating the private taxes, raising the public taxes, 
but there will be a net savings of thousands of dollars for your average family. So no, I'm not raising taxes. And actually, let's take it just a little step further and credit to Dr. Dooley, who's working with the Bernie, uh, Bernie Sanders campaign. I almost said Bernie administration. Good Freudian slip. And Nina Turner. I saw a video of theirs this weekend. They're on the road. It was either in Iowa and New Hampshire. And uh, what they said is, you ready for this? They took the, my framing and then ran it into the end zone. Ready? They go, it's actually a tax cut. Tax cut? Well, yeah. Like I just described, if you're getting rid of the private taxes and they're more expensive, but you're raising the public taxes, but there's net savings of thousands of dollars for your average family, that's an effective tax cut. That's an effective tax cut. So think about this. Everybody in the country is covered, okay? Better quality care, and you get money back. <laughs> I mean, that's what's going to happen with Medicare for All. Everybody's covered, better quality care, and you get money back. See, this is one of those issues where, you know, the old, oh, you can't have your cake and eat it too? Yeah, we can. Not only do we have cake, we're... We, oh, we have cake, and we're eating it. <laughs> and we're going to eat it till we're nice and full. Thank you very much. This is one of those issues, man, because the way the system works right now is so disgusting and so screwed up and so terrible, so terrible, that the solution, the sky's the limit with the solution. It's an effective tax cut, and everybody gets covered, and you get better quality care. Can't beat it. But yeah, Bernie Sanders is moving in the direction of giving the answer that he should have been giving all along, which is whenever you're asked that question, rule number one is deny them their sound bite. Because that's what they're fishing for. They're all Bernie asked, yes, we're doing that, and boom, it's over. Headlines in every mainstream media outlet, can't wait to smear them, can't wait to not give the context and pretend like he wants middle-class people to pay more full stop, when in reality he wants them to pay less. So deny that soundbite and explain it in a clear way. And what you say very simply is taxes will not go up. In fact, I'm giving you a tax cut. How so? Well, I'm eliminating the private taxes that you have to pay to an insurance company, and I'm raising the public taxes, but the difference is thousands of dollars in your pocket if you're an average family. Can't beat it. Clinton's back, unfortunately. Here we go. So Hillary is back doing a round of press, um, and this came right after we learned about the impeachment inquiry into Trump. Um, now, she also has a book to sell that her and Chelsea wrote. So they're hawking the book, but then they're also, you know, being asked about impeachment and stuff. And um, here, let's see what she has to say about what's going on in politics in today's day and age. come up much mm. on any campaign except for Donald Trump's. Mm -hmm. Lock her up is still mm. a big popular yeah. line. I believe he knows he's an illegitimate president. He knows. He knows that there were a bunch of different reasons why the election turned out the way it did, and I take responsibility for those parts of it that 
I should, but Jay, it was like applying for a job and getting 66 million letters of uh, recommendation and losing to a corrupt human tornado. And so I know that he knows that this wasn't on the level. I don't know that we'll ever know everything that happened, but clearly we know a lot and are learning more every day. And history will probably sort it all out. So of course he's obsessed with me. And I believe that it's a guilty conscience in so much as he has a conscience. There's a lot to break down there. First of all, she says he's an illegitimate president. Hmm. Now, if you want to make the argument, oh, simply because she got more votes than he did, she won the popular vote, therefore, like, every president who doesn't win the popular vote is kind of illegitimate in a way, I actually would agree with that argument because I don't think the Electoral College makes sense. I think it's really dumb. Um, and anybody who would argue in defense of the Electoral College effectively has to argue for an undemocratic system. And that's fine. If you want to argue for that system, that's fine. But just admit and acknowledge, I am going to argue for the undemocratic position, full stop. Now, but I digress from that, because that ain't the point she's making. I don't think that's the point she's making. When she says he's an illegitimate president, it, the, the rest of what she says leads me to believe she's, oh, I don't think we'll ever know everything that really went on. Like, that's a way of saying you got help and the election was stolen. That's what she's trying to say. Hilariously ironic, because we learned in no uncertain terms um, from the DNC leaks and from Donna Brazil herself that the Hillary campaign was an arm of the DNC. So they screwed Bernie Sanders out of the primary. I mean, again, you can't make this stuff up. The Hillary campaign got last day on press releases from the DNC when the DNC was supposed to be this, like, neutral arbiter. And no, they biased it massively in her favor. So it's just... It, it, Seems like a case of projection to be like, well, never know exactly what happened, but this, this wasn't on the level. Well, you sound like you have a guilty conscience, and you're projecting because you did that in the primary. I don't think the Trump campaign was organized enough to do something along those lines. Um, and I think she really believes on some level that, like, no, he was handed the election by Vladimir Putin. I think she's actually started to drink her own Kool-Aid and believes that, like, he wouldn't be president if it wasn't for Russian interference in the election. It takes high levels of delusion, but listen, when you're in, like, a lot of emotional pain after an event like she's expecting, they pop champagne on the day of the election early. They thought it's obvious she won, and then she lost. She has to rationalize this some way to herself, and it's easier to do that than just to say, no, I was an abysmal failure, and I was a terrible candidate, and I ignored the Rust Belt, and that's exactly how Trump won, by knocking off the Rust Belt, and uh, I'm shameful. And my ideology was wrong all these years. Neoliberal corporatism is not a good idea. She can't do that. She can't come to terms with it. So what does she do? Ah, he's an illegitimate president. The other thing that's interesting is she says, um, yeah, and she glossed over it. You could tell by her tone how she really feels about it. She's like, well, I, I take responsibility for all the things I should take responsibility for, but... No, you don't. You don't take responsibility for it. Every time you've been in public since um, the election, you do some weird, like, tap dance thing to try to get responsibility off of you as you pretend like you're taking responsibility. And then finally, she calls him a, quote, corrupt human tornado. I agree. I agree on that point. He is a corrupt human tornado. But so are you. <laughs> so that's the thing is, like, She'll never understand that, like, the email scandal is one thing, but the, particularly the Clinton Foundation, 
particularly the fact that it's so easy to paint her as, you know, a status quo politician. Like, that's why you lost more than anything. And because the Rust Belt doesn't support you because your husband signed NAFTA, you were not a populist candidate at all, you were an elitist candidate. When Trump said, make America great again, your response was, America's already great. I got news for you, that doesn't sound too good to the 500,000 Americans who go bankrupt every, every year because of medical bills. That doesn't sound too good to those dilapidated factory towns in the Rust Belt that had all their jobs outsourced. So yet again, what we see here is not taking responsibility for it. And, you know, you would think that at this late date, it's like, okay, finally, we've moved past the old neoliberal corporatist, new Democrat triangulation vision for the party, and we're moving on. And the, the vision is going to be a left vision now. It's going to be more of an FDR party than a Bill Clinton party. But they're hanging on for dear life. They're hanging on for dear life, and they're still trying to exert their influence, and they are doing it. Elizabeth Warren was just meeting with Hillary Clinton. I mean, you want to talk about terrible political instincts? There was a poll that somebody's paying for, some group is paying for, that asked about, would you like a vice president Hillary? Now, I still believe that Elizabeth Warren is too smart to offer that to, to Hillary because you're asking for, like, one of the few things that would certainly tank your campaign. So I don't think that's the case, but somebody's pushing for it behind the scenes. And could she be behind it? She sees a potential path here, Hillary, back to power, and could be his VP. But I, I really hope that's not the case. Oh, can you imagine? Oh. I can't. I don't want to think about it. I mean, it, Democrats always find a way to screw stuff up, and that would be next-level type screw-up. This next story makes me really sad, guys. Really, really, really sad. So this next story here makes me really, really sad. And I have to say that my face during this story looked a little something like this. That's what my face was as I listened to this story. Um, so Tulsi went on NPR and she was asked about her support of Medicare for All. Now, there had been whispers previously of, like, she's sort of backing off of it a little bit, and I, I hadn't seen evidence of that, so my, I thought, like, okay, my guess about Tulsi is that she supports Medicare for All because she signed on to the Medicare for All bill, to her credit, um, but it's not her top priority, it's not, and it's not even one of her top priorities, Obviously, first and foremost, she cares about foreign policy. Now, that's her prerogative, and that's totally fine. But I was still under the default assumption that, like, okay, she, but she believes in it, right? She believes in it. Well, these comments uh, kind of show otherwise. When you say health care, are you for Medicare for all? If you could just tick through the list more specifically. Uh, yes, I support, I prefer to call it Medicare choice, where we are ensuring quality health care for all people, regardless of, 
of how little they may have in their pocket or they, their bank account while ma maintaining their freedom of choice. If they've got a, a, an employer-sponsored plan or a union-sponsored plan that they're happy with, they should have the opportunity to do so. But the bottom line being that in the wealthiest nation in the world, there is no excuse that we still have far too many Americans who are underinsured or uninsured and who are one health care emergency away from total financial disaster. So she said she supports, quote, Medicare choice, and she goes on to say if you like your employer-sponsored plan or your union-sponsored plan, you can keep it. So let me explain why this is not okay. The heart of Medicare for All is a provision about what's called duplicative insurance. And basically what that says is a private insurance company cannot offer insurance that Medicare for All, the single payer, already offers. Now, there are a variety of reasons for that, um, but probably the most important one is under a single payer system, you have a single payer, and so everybody pays into this single payer, the government, which is the only insurer, and you spread out the risk pool. And also, if you have a system like she's describing, you still have for-profit health insurance companies playing a major role in our health care system. And what will likely happen under this kind of system, which is a public option type system, is you have the for-profit health insurance companies basically try to take in only the healthy people, okay, so they can price gouge and still make tremendous profit. And they take all the sick people and they pawn only the sick people off to the government plan. And if you jack the government system full of only sick people, you don't have the risk spread around and the quality will tank. You'll have the quality of the public system tank because only the sick people go there and it's chronically underfunded. So then that's when, you know, conservatives get to turn around and say, see, we told you the private insurance is so much better. It's so much nicer. And the public system's a mess. Look at how terrible the public system is. So in order to do a real single-payer system, now I don't care if you want to say public funding of private institutions, private care, not insurance, private care, public funding of private uh, institutions or public funding of public institutions, that I don't care, I'll take either one. I'll take an NHS-style system or a French-style system. I don't care. But you need to have the no-duplicative-care provision in there. If you don't have the no-duplicative-care provision in there, it's not single-payer. It's not Medicare for all. So this whole notion of, like, choice, I believe in choice when it comes to health insurance, everybody needs to start thinking about that in this way. That's like saying I want choice for a fire department. No, the way that we all understand it works is like this. Oh, there's a fire, so now the fire department is going to come put it out. That's the end of the conversation. Would you, if, a, if somebody knocked on your door and said, I'm selling uh, fire insurance, and here, here's a list of what can get covered, and they give you plans. Oh, if your living room catches fire, we're going to come put that out, but not if it's your kitchen. If your bedroom catches fire, we'll put that out, but your basement, no, that's not covered in this plan. If somebody did that, you'd be like, are you insane? Are you clinically insane? What are you doing? What are you talking about? The way this works is sick, help, end of conversation. Free at the point of service, too. Fire department doesn't show up and say, come on, pay me. What are you doing? 
So that's effectively what would happen under this system she's describing, is that you're allowing for-profit health insurance companies to sell you plans and say, oh, yeah, these things are covered, these things are not covered. You have the choice to pick here. This isn't like picking a bagel. We're talking about it being a human right. And this is not a single-payer Medicare for All system that she's describing. This is a public option-like system that she's describing. The idea, oh, if you like your health insurance plan, you can keep it. If you like it through your employer. The whole point of having employer-sponsored health insurance is that the employee can keep leverage over the employer can keep leverage over their employees. And we just saw this happen with the GM strike. What happened? As soon as they went on strike, GM said, well, sorry, it looks like we're going to cut off your uh, insurance while you're striking. What? Some people were like, I have a kid with cancer. I need, I need that coverage. They're like, well, you shouldn't have protested. What? What? So this is the kind of system that would exist if what she's describing was implemented. Oh, if you like your employer-sponsored health insurance, I mean, under Medicare for All, everything is covered, and it's free at the point of service, full stop. Now, if she was just arguing for supplemental insurance, I'd have no problem with that, and I'd be defending her right now, because what is supplemental? Supplemental means those little tiny things around the edges that are sometimes experimental treatment that aren't covered. So, you know, whatever, if there's like, homeopathy or something, which there's no evidence for, but some people swear by it. If that's not going to be covered under Medicare for all, because there's no evidence for it, it makes no sense. But if you want to get some sort of plan that covers, you know, homeopathy, you want to get some sort of plan that covers cosmetic plastic surgeries, okay, can insurance companies exist to deal with that? I have no problem with that. But again, that's supplemental. That doesn't violate the duplicative care provision. What she's describing violates the duplicative care provision. And what would happen is, yet again, explain this as simply as possible, you have um, the risk is not all in one pool. And private health insurance companies would try to keep only the healthy ones. They pawn off all the, the sickly ones or the ones who are likely to get sick to the government system. The government system is overburdened and not fully funded. The quality tanks. And then everybody turns around and goes, see, private care is obviously better. That's really upsetting that she did this. It really is. And, guys, I want you to stop and think about it. What we now know is that everybody, other than Bernie, has waffled on this. Everybody. Elizabeth Warren has waffled on it repeatedly. Tulsi's now waffled on it. And um, Andrew Yang... Has He always throws an or in there. I support Medicare for all. Or, and then he goes on to describe a public option type system. There's only one candidate who's really going to make this a priority and fight for it. I wish that wasn't the case, guys. But that is the case. And I think everybody needs to acknowledge that. And, you know, listen, man, this segment, I like Tulsi. Everybody knows I like Tulsi. I really do. I think she's... Um, a necessary voice in the race. I like everything she has to say about ending regime change wars. There are some issues where she outflanked Bernie. Venezuela, for example. Edward Snowden. Julian Assange. So she's willing to be like a rogue and a maverick. So, in other words, I'm not saying that she has taken this position that she's taken because she's corrupt 
and because she's bought by the insurance companies. No. I think she's taken this position because she actually believes in this kind of position. But I just disagree with her. I don't agree with this Medicare choice stuff. I don't agree with the idea, oh, if you like your employer-sponsored plan, you can keep it. No. How about these people pay less and get more covered? How about that? How about we do a proper single-payer Medicare for All system, which is the only system that we know is going to work because all the evidence shows it, which is like the rest of the developed world, where we have a single-payer and we spread the risk out properly in one pool and then everybody's covered and it's better quality care and it's cheaper. Really, really, really disappointing. Yeah, this, I'm just upset by this. All right, next. MSNBC panel goes off the rails. Let's do it. So the delusion is strong on this MSNBC panel about impeachment. And um, it's also wild because they're turning to an unlikely hero. But again, things are moving quickly. And by the way, this feels so different than yeah, the Mueller investigation because that went on for so long. It was so secret. In many ways, it put that whole scandal on hold yeah. for a very long time. Now it's all playing out in real time. And, they, you know, the, the stories that are being broken are not being broken, you know, in a secret investigation. Yeah. And these public hearings, I think, do have a chance to move the needle of public opinion. Yeah. I was going to make the point, I think a person to watch in the coming days and weeks is John Bolton, right? I mean, he's a person who has deep ties to the senior leadership across the Republican Party. He's a notoriously a foreign policy hawk. The idea that Donald Trump was trading on Ukraine's security to help his own political cause would be anathema to a person like John Bolton. And he has no love for this president. Behind the scenes, I almost am certain that he is having conversations to you know, push the Republican Party to break with yeah, Donald Trump. Yeah, if someone's going to talk, it yeah. probably would be him. Very quickly. But imagine all of this started happening yeah. after John Bolton walked out well, the door. And said, no, 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 I left you, you didn't leave me. Yeah, right. Right. That's That's right. Right. And I believe he was the last babysitter, right? Yeah. He was the last yeah. adult in the room. Well, that's that's right. Right. Oh. You know it's bad when uh, Joanne Reed is the voice of reason, and that's what just happened. One of the guests was like, last babysitter, last adult in the room. Adult in the room? He's a war criminal who belongs in The Hague, who has the blood of millions of people on his hands, and who's still pushing for for war with Venezuela, still pushing for war with Iran. No, no, no. He's not the adult in the room. He's not the babysitter. He needs his own babysitter, and that babysitter should be somebody in a prison who's the guard. So I hate, 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 hate that. So they're trying to do the old, like, revive Bolton thing because, oh, maybe if somebody talks, it'll be John Bolton. John Bolton, welcome to the resistance, good sir. So, um... The other point to make here is, man, they're doing it again. 
at the beginning when he's like, you know, this feels so different from the Mueller investigation. No, you want it to be different than the Mueller investigation. That was actually my concern early on. By the way, who was right about that? What did I tell you guys? They're not going to get Trump on some sort of collusion with Russia. He definitely is a corrupt businessman, and if he goes down that path, he'll find a lot of dirt. But on the issue of collusion, an issue of working with the Russian government, very clearly they were like, well, there's no evidence, and it's certainly not enough to you know, do anything about it, even though Mueller still kind of hinted that he wanted impeachment, but the Democrats, over obstruction it was, but the Democrats didn't really get it because Mueller wasn't crystal clear with it. Well, now they're trying impeachment, but point is, the Mueller thing, while everybody was, every day was like, the walls are closing in, the beginning of the end, the beginning of the end, every day was that. And then I would always have to come out here on this show and be like, all right, everybody, relax a little bit. It's not exactly like you think it is. Here are the things you're missing. And the media was just getting it wrong and overhyping everything. And I think we have a situation like that now, too. Oh, this feels so different than the Mueller thing. Now, is there an argument that maybe during the course of the impeachment proceedings that there will be a lot of stuff that gets out there in terms of news that makes Trump look horrendous and it could hurt him in that way. That is certainly possible, and I'll grant him that. Um, but the point I can't get over, which, again, all of these people are avoiding like the plague, is that best-case scenario for Democrats, it gets through the House, dies in the Senate, because you need two-thirds in the Senate, which means you need 20 Republicans to cross over. That ain't happening. So it's definitely going to die in the Senate. And then what? I'll tell you what. Everybody on Twitter is going to be miserable. All these hosts are going to be, you know, they're going to be inconsolable. And it's possible that just like with Bill Clinton, Trump's approval rating bounces back up at that point in time. So the idea that, like, this is different than Mueller, mm, not really, not really, no. Because <laughs> what happened with Mueller? Okay, here's the report. Up, oh, yeah, there, mm. turns out he's not doing anything about it. He's not indicting. He's not formally recommending impeachment, even though he wants it. He's not going to say it. So it just all came to this, like, ending that was so anticlimactic, and then now we're going to deal with kind of the same thing here. Where it's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, we got him, uh-huh, oh, we got him, oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh, we didn't get him? <laughs> like, yeah, what do you expect? He's not getting through the Senate. So they're doing it again, man. The thing that's so annoying is the shortcuts. If you're not a, a policy substance junkie and you're involved in politics, they all end up having to try to take shortcuts to get their way. Like, uh, let's, I don't know, take him down with something. I don't, uh, Mueller or something. Collusion something. Uh, yeah, impeachment, that's not going to go anywhere or something. Uh. Like, well, no, if you actually followed this stuff closely and cared about the policy, there are ways to destroy him in the court of public opinion that guarantee an election victory for you the next time. And But you had... In order to do that, it requires work. You have to know the things that he does that are horrendous. You have to know just how unpopular they are. You have to follow the specific corruption that he's engaged in with a fine-tooth comb. You have, to, you have to – it requires work. It requires effort. It requires actually caring about the issue. So it's easier to just, I don't know, that's all too much, too much reading, too much following. Uh, uh, Mueller's going to save us. Yeah, impeachment will save us. No, it won't. It won't. And that's what's so frustrating is that it's always the same thing over and over. And, of course, that's, what, that's because MSNBC, they don't really care about policy substance. They're just a corporate Democrat defense network, and that's it.
All right, let's go to Beto O'Rourke and then Amy Cloudboot Jar. We're going to finish with some funny stories. I can be a hero, baby. Okay. Let's do it, baby. Let's laugh. Laugh and have a good time. So Beto O'Rourke, also known as Bet on My Stork, um, is getting super duper desperate with his poll numbers in the toilet. Um, So he's been trying some new things. You know, the last one was like at a... Uh, debate. He was talking about supporting gun confiscation. I mean, it's funny because, like, you can see what he's trying to do there. What he's trying to do is, okay, I know my campaign is floundering. I'm not going anywhere. I have to be bold. And I have to be bold in a way that, you know, a lane that's not already taken by Bernie. So, I don't know, pick one of those issues and go all in. And gun reform. So, Bernie's in favor of all the normal, you know, gun reform proposals that we talk about on this show all the time, universal background checks, banning high-capacity magazines, banning assault weapons, so on and so forth. He supports all those. Beto's like, oh, I see a lane. My lane is going to be, I'll go further, bro. Hell yeah, I'm going to take your gun. So that's not a good idea to argue that. Well, let me me take that back. Because if you support that policy, then sure, people are going to give him credit, and there are some people who do support that policy, so they gave him credit and said it was bold. Um, I do not think that's a good idea because I don't really agree with it, first of all. I'm in favor of all types of gun regulations, but not that, not like mandatory confiscation. Um, but also, when your campaign fails, and it's going to fail, there's not a question about that, um, what are you going to do next? What, are you going to run for Congress again? In Texas? What, are you going to run for the Senate in Texas? You're just arguing for gun confiscation. (laughs) Like, you cut your political opponent's ads for them. I don't think that's an argument you win. I really don't. I think you can win any argument on gun reform if your position is universal background checks, ban on high-capacity magazines, ban on assault weapons, some sort of licensing, mental health check system. Like, you can win all of those arguments. The argument you don't win is mandatory buyback. If you had a voluntary buyback, you could win that argument all day long. Mandatory? I don't think that's going to work. So what's interesting is we're watching a bet on my stork not just blow up his, uh, his presidential campaign, also potentially the rest of his political career as an elected official. So yikes on that. Now, <laughs> here he is trying his brand new... Millennial Outreach. Watch. Red, bro. Totally tubular, bro. like the embodiment of like the the Gen X liberal uh, soccer dad 
<laughs> like him is like totally rad, bro. Tubular, bro. Let's go listen to uh, I don't know what's the what's the name of like a hair band from the '80s or something. <laughs> Let's go listen to Pour Some Sugar on Me, bro. Rad. <laughs> Now, would I be going after Beto if, like, I don't know, I thought he was remotely serious policy-wise? Even If Beto was even just as good as Elizabeth Warren on policy, now I got a million disagreements with Elizabeth Warren, but there's at least bright spots. Her wealth tax, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, Wall Street stuff, like, they're bright spots. If he was even as good as her, I don't know if I'd be doing this segment, but since, like, he's just so, so bad on policy... It's like, I can't help but make fun of him for this. Because it's like, what are you doing, bro? I, I see what you're doing. You're trying to substitute being a good candidate with, like, cultural signifiers. You know what I mean? Like, I guess cultural issues are just as important as policy issues when running for president. So this is him trying to be like, I'm cool. I'm hip. I'm with it. Tuck, 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 tuck. doesn't make you appealing to young people. This is it's just weird. It's just weird. I So this is Beto's Pokemon go to the polls moment. That's what this is. Everybody seems to like Pokemon go around here. Well, what I want you to do is Pokemon go to the polls. Uh, uh, people in the audience were like Ha 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 What are you doing? Has it, uh, did anybody watch this video of Beto skateboarding and go, you know, I was skeptical, but he's got me now. Nobody did that. Nobody did that, man. Come on. And if they did do that, oh, goodness gracious. Wow. The six people who did do that are pretty scary that this is what it takes in order to, you know, win you over. It's like for me, if a president plays golf, because I like golf, I'm going to be, yes, oh, now you got me. No, Trump loves golf. I wouldn't vote for him for that. <laughs> so if you love skateboarding and you skateboard, no, I, I would like to think 99% of the people are going to be like, I don't care. He's skateboarding. Forget that. It's irrelevant. Who cares? So anyway. This is, the, this is now the stage of the election that we're at. I would love, oh my God, how much would you love to be a fly on the wall in Beto's meetings with his staffers? Oh, I would love nothing more than that because the conversations you're going to hear, the strategy sessions, they're so sad. So sad. Like, we all know there was that one conversation, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to argue for gun confiscation. I'm going to do it. And then the cursing thing, because every time he curses, he gets positive headlines. I'm, I'm going to curse every other day now. I'm going to curse. And then that'll, that'll help. I think that'll bring me up in the poll. Standing on stuff all the time. Remember, that was earlier on in the campaign. But now it's like, you know, um, you know, uh, Beto, we've been looking at the polls, and you're not doing too well. You're struggling, particularly with the younger demographic. 
You apparently only have um, liberal wine moms from Orange County who support you. Really strange. Um, so we're going to need you to take some drastic action. Young voters. What are, let's see. What do young voters like? I think they like... I think they like the skateboard, and they like Zima, and they like hula hoops, um, So and Tamagotchis. I, do they like Tamagotchis? I think they like Tamagotchis. So, uh, you know, we were thinking about maybe doing some sort of an event with Sonic the Hedgehog and, you know, playing into how popular Sega Genesis is, but we're going to go with, um, we're going to go with the skateboard move, skateboard move. By our calculations, you might... Jump up in the polls 2 or 3% from this. 2 or 3%? That sounds good. Oh, skateboarding Beto. I'll tell you what. The one downside, I will be a little sad when a lot of these candidates start dropping out because the entertainment value goes down. At some point, we're going to have a more serious race. <laughs> Well, actually, no, I take that back because Biden, I think, is going to stay into the end, even though he's floundering, and he'll provide us endless entertainment. But with him, it's kind of sad. It's for all the wrong reasons. It's because he's not all there at the moment. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Are you guys hoping they stay in, like all the entertaining ones, just so we can laugh? Or are you like, okay, just wrap it up? Now let's talk about somebody who has a cloud in their boot jar. There's a cloud in my boot jar, baby. <laughs> All right. So Amy Klobuchar was at uh, the UFCW Union Conference, and she told a story about murdering a duck while playing golf. I did one time try to play golf, and I kind of misfired. I do. I have played mini golf a lot with my family, but I misfired on uh, the first try, and the ball hit a duck in the head, and it, yeah, it appeared to appeared to perish. Oh, yeah. So anyway, so I don't think it is a good idea for the bird population of America if I was my golf. All right. Um, I'm a golfer, and uh, I can say with relative certainty that that didn't happen. <laughs> that didn't happen. Now, uh, for a variety of reasons. I mean, first of all, the golf ball is so small that even if it hit a duck, especially if you're a beginner and you hit the ball and it hits the duck, it doesn't have enough juice on it to hurt the duck. Never mind, kill it. It, doesn't, it wouldn't even hurt it that much. So I don't know why she's, like, randomly telling this story and seemingly lying. Um, very strange. Or embellishing. Maybe she hit a duck and then it didn't die, but she's saying it died. I don't know. But it's just weird. I don't know why you're doing this. There was one time when I was a kid playing soccer. I had to be, like, 12 years old or something playing soccer. And um, somebody kicked a ball, and it actually hit a goose's head, and the neck just snapped. Instantly died. Um I remember that. That was semi-traumatizing as a kid. <laughs> You're like, oh, my God. 
Now, just so everybody knows, there was no, the person who did it wasn't trying to kill a goose. It was just like the goose kind of happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time type stuff. That happens, but that, the soccer ball is much, much bigger. Um, a golf ball, yeah, I don't see it, man. I don't, I've been playing golf my whole life and watching golf too, and it's never happened on, in any event that I've ever seen and um, never happened in my life. I don't know anybody that this has happened to. So, yeah, this is fake, and I don't know why she would lie about this. <laughs> but, no, in all seriousness, because this is just funny, um, there's another part of this conference which is just terrible, which is there was somebody who asked a question and said, listen, I have all these medical bills, I have all these problems, and um, I you know, can't afford it, so on and so forth, and what do you propose we do about that? And honestly, it looked like the guy was fishing for an answer where she says, yeah, Medicare for all is the way to go. But she doesn't do it. She doesn't say that. And she goes right to, um, if you like your insurance, you can keep it. You're talking to a dude who quite literally is saying, like, it's not working, and I can't afford it, and there's all these problems, and I need more than that. She's, well, mm, you know, I think that what we need to do is have a system very similar to the one we have now and just make tweaks around the edges. Here's one. I really don't know why she's still in the race. I, re- I like Beto, at least in Beto's head, we just did the segment on Beto, at least in his head, I think he still thinks there's like this Hail Mary chance, which is hilarious because there's not. But like I could see him thinking that. With Amy, she never showed an inkling of like any hope in this race. Beto had that one flash where he was like, oh, look at the Beto, oh, Beto. Media was in love with him and he bumped up in the polls a smidge but he fell off a cliff. Amy didn't even have that like little honeymoon phase where the media was like, oh, yeah, the club, yeah. everybody's like, I don't think she's budged at all in the polls. And to be that, what's so funny is like, it's one thing to substantively disagree with moving left. And I think she does substantively disagree with that. But it's another thing to be delusional enough to think that that's the path to the nomination. I mean, we're approaching record levels of delusion here, guys. I mean, this is like, this is, you're approaching Jeb Bush level silliness. Where Jeb, it, it was so obvious early on that this dude's got no chance, man. He's getting curb stomped on stage by Donald Trump. Even guys like Marco Rubio can own him, and Marco's sad and pathetic in his own right, but even he could own Jeb. It was just so clear he doesn't have that ability to really win that. Klobuchar's the same thing. There's nothing there, bro. There's nothing there, but she's still running. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't understand it even a little bit. There will come a day where she drops out, and on that day where she drops out, there's a decent chance she endorses Biden because that's who she is. Anyway... There's a cloud in my boot, y'all, baby. Let me do one. Actually, I want to do one more real quick. Might as well do one more story while we're here. So, I don't know if you guys have been seeing this, but I've been seeing online quite a bit. There will be these official... Democratic-sponsored polls on the race. 
and they'll ask, hey, who's your favorite for, for president? And they will bury Bernie's name. So now not only are we seeing it with the media, we're seeing it with these Democratic-sponsored polls where they're actively trying to bury his name. And it is the most frustrating thing. How many headlines have I seen where it's like, I now have seen some headlines where they officially declared a two-person race and the two people are Biden and Elizabeth Warren. But there's polls that come out on a daily basis that show Bernie tied with them. Now, some of them, it's not in the national polls, I'll grant you that, but in, in Nevada, one just came out and said that he's tied with them. But there's this concerted effort to try to downplay and obfuscate and act like he's not serious. I watched a Fox News clip the other day where one of the hosts, again, smugly swatted Bernie aside and acted like there's no way he's going to win. Where are these people getting this from? And one of the most curious parts is they're using the exact same argument that was used against Donald Trump. I don't know if you guys remember this, but... The argument that was used against Donald Trump was, oh, he's got a low ceiling. So in other words, yes, he has support, and it's really strong support, and he's got a solid base that's not going anywhere, and he's got a good operation going, but he, he peaks at like, you know, 25% or 30%, and he can't go above that. He can't crack that level. That's an argument that Nate Silver made nonstop in the 2016 election. And guess what? He was wrong, and everybody was dead wrong. They were just dead wrong, man. So what we need to do is turn this dynamic into a positive for us, the dynamic of the media going after our candidate, because it actually helps Trump in 2016, and we can harness that energy in the same way where it helps us, where there are perpetual slights, and unfair coverage and downplaying and obfuscating of Bernie can actually turn into an advantage for him. We can make that be the case if we just effectively go around the media and organize better and knock on more doors and make more phone calls and raise more money for him and all that fun stuff. So anyway, there's that. Now let's call it a day. I just wanted to share that quick thing. So I've noticed a lot of these polls, man, and they're driving me crazy. A lot of these polls that just bury Bernie's name. It's like, who's your favorite? It'll be like Biden, Warren, Kamala, or Mayor Pete. And you're like, wait, what? You just hopped over the dude who's like tied for second or in third. It's unreal. And it's incredibly disrespectful as well. All right, guys. I love you, baby. We will see you on probably for Kyle and Corn, but then also on the show on uh, Thursday. So everybody enjoy the rest of your day. I'll talk to you soon. Much love. Peace.